love scientists. Hello. Hi, listeners. Welcome to episode 63 of I'm Horrified. Woo! Woo! Here's something that just occurred to me. Give me it. Should we do something sexy for episode 69? Well, I'm glad that we have <laughs> six episodes to figure it out. We Well, because sometimes we're like, oh, we should do something for X episode, and then we realize we're recording it in that moment, and we're like, oh, never mind. Let's do a quick, maybe, rehearsal. Hey, everyone. This is... <laughs> Are you, are you trying to come up with a sexy name? It's like or? a, it's it's like a boob forward. Ooh, no, that's not sexual. I don't know how to be sexy, You're especially not over job. audio. <laughs> See, I disagree. I find I'm only sexy over audio, and as soon as you put my face in there, yeah, I'm sexy. It doesn't work anymore when it's as. What's that song that's like? You look better with the lights off. Yeah, us, baby. That's me. Me and my friend. <laughs> That's, we've got a face for the radio. And, um, and here we are on podcast, are. the new radio. Yeah. Um, is anyone aroused by this yet? <laughs> Give us feedback. Uh, so we have time to think about I don't know that we 69. should invite that kind of feedback. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's true. We haven't gotten any creeps yet. No, that no. That is, I guess, tempting fate, but we haven't had any, like, you know, I want to cut your head off and masturbate to it. Yeah. Which is how, you know, a woman knows that she's made it. Yeah, that's how I know we're not famous yet. Yeah. We gotta wait. For the, for the violent threats. But I cannot <laughs> wait until that day. Uh, cannot wait to be more scared somehow. Fame's gonna come for us. <laughs> um, speaking of which, fear. Fear. <laughs> what are we, what are we talking about today, Sam? Uh, today I'm gonna keep it light and I'm gonna talk about the nuclear winter. Oh, I'm so excited. I love when you do, like, sweeping horrorscapes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm gonna talk about Raw Doll. I'm scared but excited yeah were you a fan ever not really i mean i'm familiar with his work but i never like read his books i was a fan mm. so <laughs> you say was gonna get personal yike but we don't have time for that right now we have <laughs> to talk about the cold war or specifically not the cold war you said that you were going to talk about the cold no. war earlier we're talking about war and the cold we're talking yeah <laughs> no we're good yeah we All got right. there Take it away, Sam. Great. All right, you guys, this episode of I'm Horrified is not sponsored by the HBO original series Chernobyl, but it could be. HBO, if you'd like your people to contact my people, my people is Allie. Yeah. <laughs> so. believe we've already got an email thread going about a Game of Thrones partnership. Oh, I would love that. Um, but, uh, no, so I think, uh, as Allie kind of alluded to, you guys know that I think a lot about the end of the world. Uh, I did that episode on the AI apocalypse. I did that episode on the Cascadia Subduction Zone. I did that episode on the Fermi Paradox. You got a lot, you get your eyes set on when it's going to be all over for us. It's honestly a miracle that I am not one of those doomsday preppers. It's like... All right. Well, I feel like it's kind of a stretch to say that you're not, but... <laughs> I, I'm i a doomsday prepper, but I'm also a procrastinator. So that's like a, a hard combo to work with. I'm like, I'll prep for the inevitable apocalypse tomorrow. I could see you making a list on your phone, like... 500 batteries, <laughs> 20 pallets of water, yeah. rope for some reason, but you don't really get around to going to Shaw's to pick all of it up. No, I get the rope, but that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's only just because I happened to cross it. Yep. Um, so today we're going to talk about a doomsday scenario that feels both very present and also kind of vintage, which is fun. Um, namely, uh, the question is, when the nuclear holocaust comes, what happens next? Nothing, right? You'll see. Does something happen? You'll, you're about to find out. I'm so glad I've hooked you. This is it. We're this in it. This is it. We're doing it. <laughs> okay. The way this podcast works, Allie, is that I introduce a topic. 
No, right. And then I elaborate on the topic for about 20 to 30 minutes. Can we be real? Can we just level <laughs> with you guys right now? The only reason that Sam got me to record today <laughs> is that she said that we could watch Aladdin afterwards. <laughs> Not the new one. With the Robin Williams No, 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 no the original one. I, I also said I'd like to see the new one with you. I don't want anyone out there to feel neglected by me, but <laughs> I that's the only reason I'm here. So if I'm a little loose and fuzzy, I just full, full disclose. You know, it's not her fault. She's just already one jump ahead. Oh! <laughs> this is why I can't wait! I wish you all had the joy of watching movies with Sam Buntich. Ugh. Um, one Jump no. Ahead is one of the bangers of all time. It is. Let's talk about the nuclear winter. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get this out of the way. No, I I do want to learn about that. I'm sorry I'm being so horrible. You're not, hold my hand. <laughs> You're not horrible. I am, I'm broken though. You are doing your best today. Guys, remember a few episodes back when I got drunk and I talked to you guys for 20 minutes about just doing your best? I'm sober right now and I yeah. stand by those things. We don't often spew drunk wisdom that isn't. True in the daylight. Also sober wisdom, yeah. yeah. Um, alrighty, here we go. Um, let's just find out what's gonna happen when we launch the nukes and wipe out a good percentage of this population. Isn't this fun? Aren't you glad we started this podcast? Yay! So just to put everything in perspective, as of 2016, humanity had about 15,000 nuclear weapons, thousands of which are on hair trigger alert. And hair trigger alert means that they are constantly staffed with people who can launch them within 10 minutes. No, why? (laughs) They're just ready. Uh, Just ready to go. Stockpiles have been on the decline following the end of the Cold War, um, but every nuclear country is currently undergoing modernization of its nuclear arsenal. So they're like, let's make them newer and sexier. And I assume they all kind of look like iPods. Yeah. Smaller. (laughs) Yeah. More portable. Absolutely. (laughs) Can fit. In your pocket. Um, Can kill 50 million people. (laughs) But because they're modernizing all this stuff, some experts believe that it might increase the risk of nuclear proliferation, nuclear terrorism, and accidental nuclear war. Because when we're freshening everything up, who knows what's going to happen. Or it's like when you buy a new outfit, and even though it's not really appropriate for the next day, you still kind of wear it. (gasps) True. (laughs) That's what arming our nuclear... um, Stuff you're like, with well, new stuff. Is. I painted it already. Yeah. We're not. You're saying we're not going to use it. Yeah, it looks so good. Also, to me, when you say hair trigger, <laughs> I think like somebody taps up next to it, like that scene in Finding Nemo, and it just explodes. <laughs> not quite, but close enough. And then he explodes. <laughs> and then he explodes. Um. So, in a poll of experts at the Global Catastrophic Risk Conference in Oxford, which I should go to. Yes. <laughs> How do we get this woman a pass? Oh my god. Uh, the Future of Humanity Institute, which I should be a part of, estimated... <laughs> Humanity Institute! <laughs> estimated the probability of complete human extinction by nuclear weapons at 1% within the century. So within the next 100 years, there's a 1% chance that nuclear weapons will wipe out all human life on Earth. Great. That's fine. <laughs> There's a 10% chance that nuclear weapons will kill a billion people in the next 100 years. Mm. And uh, there's a 30% chance that uh, nuclear weapons will kill 1 million people in the next 100 years. I, uh, so, like, that's a third right there. <laughs> yeah. That's slightly under a third. They're like, a, thir- a third is like the ability to say, like, I mean, it probably won't, but. 
It very well might. <laughs> but it might. But it's only a million people. So I, would, I, mean... I wouldn't even say it probably won't. <laughs> I would say, like, oh, it, yeah, no, it definitely could happen. That's yeah. what a third means to me. Yeah, right? It's a big number. Can you tell that we're scientists? Yeah. Did you guys know that we both have PhDs? Mm. Um, so scientists have argued that even, like, a small-scale nuclear war between two countries could have a devastating global consequence. Um, and these littler local conflicts are more likely than, like, what you imagine of, like, everyone with nukes fires the nukes all at once. Right. So it's, like, just because probably everyone with nukes won't fire the nukes all at once, that doesn't mean we're not all fucked. So let's say, but let's say that happens, and we all just start firing nukes at each other. Um, a huge part of the Earth's population dies right there, obviously. Uh, we live on a coast, you and I, Allie, in a relatively major city in America, so there's a good chance that we are ground zero for an attack. It's true. And that means we will be instantaneously reduced to basic minerals from the heat of the blast. For me, this is great news. Oh, I was just about to say, I was like, what's the problem? <laughs> yeah. That sounds perfect. We are out. We don't have to deal with any of the stuff that I'm about to detail. Ideal situation. <laughs> I would love to be minerals. Because if you're in maybe like, I'm trying to think like Maryland... <laughs> You're all fucked up. Yeah. You know, like, you lose, like, you get, like, splinched. Yeah. But then in, um, you know, Omaha, Nebraska, you're just hearing about it on the news. Yeah. And you're like, fuck, 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 fuck. Yeah. It's coming. I'm out. Yeah. I don't even hear about it. You and me, we're just dust, baby. Yeah. I'm, like, at the beginning of I'm Le- I Am Legend. Yeah. And, you know, they're like, 20,000 people have already died. I'm me. one of those 20,000. Yeah. I don't even get to live to, like, watch Will Smith figure it out. Perfect. So that's probably us. Isn't that great? For anyone within five miles of a blast, you're probably dead pretty much immediately. Mm. Uh, Again, great news if you live within five miles of a major city. Um, If you're not dead immediately, you're dead in the next few years from uh, severe radiation poisoning. Mm. Um, But what about further out? Maybe in the suburbs or a farm someplace, you're fine. No, let's talk about nuclear fallout. Yeah, nuclear fallout. Nuclear fallout. Which is not something that is philosophical or in theory, because no. it has happened. Yeah, sure has. Watch HBO's Chernobyl. Um, I haven't started mm. watching it, actually, but I've heard it's very good. I'll watch it. We watch together. Let's watch it together. After we watch Aladdin. <laughs> not before Aladdin, I swear to God. Nothing's happening before Aladdin <laughs> I know, after this. I know. Um, so nuclear fallout, for those of you who uh, are just thinking about the video game, which is where my brain went is the residual radioactive material propelled into the upper atmosphere following a nuclear blast. Uh, And it's called fallout because it will then literally fall out of the sky um, later, is why they called it that. I love scientists. I love the way they name stuff. (laughs) Um, But it will only fall out um, after the shockwave has passed, and you think everything might be okay. So fallout often gets ingrained with, like, the clouds that are up in the atmosphere, and it can fall to Earth as a pitch black rain as early as 30 to 40 minutes after a nuclear bomb explodes. Jesus Christ. So you're like, oh my god, a nuclear bomb happened. What will we do? And then you go outside and it's raining black. Blackness. (laughs) That's fun. Boy, oh boy. And the blackness is radioactive, so that's good too. Um, and fallout, because it's in the atmosphere with the clouds and the wind, can travel, which is one of the more dangerous things about it. For example, when we were testing uh, just a shit ton of nuclear weapons in the 50s, studies showed that fallout um, that was severely contaminating the air could travel up to 300 miles from where the nuclear bomb was dropped. 
So that's like if a bomb was dropped in New York City, we could experience severely contaminated fallout here in Boston. Wow. Um, and then there's like, there's degrees of sam- contamination under severe. So like severely contaminated is the most contaminated, but like beyond Boston, they're still getting nuclear fallout. It's just not Yeah, it severe. could reach Maine, but it's gradual. Yeah. Um, so people in the fallout zone are obviously going to experience some bad shit. High rates of cancer, you're going to get cataracts in your eyes, you're going to get chronic radiation burns, um, you're going to have decreased fertility and uh, genetic mutations. That's going to be really common for people within that, like, 300-mile radius of a nuclear explosion. That kind of stuff is also happening to all of the animals and plants in a fallout zone, which didn't occur to me at first. I just think about, like, humans. Yeah. But um, that would actually be, like, really bad. Like, if you're living on a farm, your animals are all fucked up. Yeah. Uh, And so are your plants. You can't eat them. They're not reproducing. That's got some bad stuff going on with yeah, it. Yeah, both an economic problem and also then also what do we eat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but let's say even then you're out of the fallout zone. You're living in rural Kansas, baby, and nobody's bombing anything near you. Are you fine? No. No, oh. <laughs> Obviously, we are fucking up the globe as we fuck each other up. It's time to talk about the nuclear winter. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah. Winter I, is here. Winter is here. The Starks were right. This is the Game of Thrones finale you always wanted. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Sam has a lot of opinions about it. <laughs> I wish I could give her a platform to uh, talk about it. Maybe next week I'll just talk about, like, Sam's Game of Thrones opinions. <laughs> That'll be my second I, segment. I think people would appreciate that. <laughs> I think if a lot of people need an outlet, and you are that outlet. Thank you so much. My, mo- my biggest opinion is just, like, ugh. Um, yeah. But uh, maybe I'll elaborate. So let's talk about nuclear winter. In the early 1980s, scientists begin to, like, talk amongst themselves and be like, hey, if we're, like, dropping bombs or if, like, Chernobyl is happening, like, what's happening to all the burning wood and plastics and petroleum in these nuclear devastated cities? Hmm. So they're like, oh, well, probably the intense heat carries the particulates extremely high in the atmosphere, and then they drift for weeks and they block out all but a fraction of the sun's light. Wait, I'm sorry? So there's no light anymore? We can't see the sun. Got it. No more sun. Yeah, yep. Okay. Um, And so they do this study in 1983 where they model these effects, and that's when they coined the term nuclear winter, the cold and horrifying time right after a nuclear explosion happens, and especially, like, a massive one that is happening all over the world. So, like, back in the 80s, they were like, (laughs) that'd be bad. But we've done more studies with, like, more modern models and greater computer power, and it turns out it's even worse than we thought. No, but... It's not good. Why didn't they find out how to fix it with their computers? The way to fix it is don't have a nuclear war. (laughs) So, all right, well, if you want to be the hero, fine. (laughs) So a 2007 study examined the consequences of a global nuclear war involving moderate to large portions of the current global arsenal of nuclear bombs. So they found that if there was some kind of global nuclear war and we used, like, a majority of the nuclear weapons in our arsenal, the globe would cool um, about 20 degrees cooler in most of the core farming regions in the U.S., Europe, Russia, and China. 
and it would cool as much as 35 degrees in parts of Russia for the first two summer growing seasons. So that means there's two years where you cannot grow anything anywhere in the main growing regions of the earth. That does sound like a problem. So that's going to be a problem for the people that are, you know, still alive. Which we wouldn't be. Which you and I, that's not a problem. So we can take a big, whew. Yeah, um, <laughs> all of you just East Coast liberals, you're probably set. But yeah. uh, you good farmers in middle America. We're going to get pwned just like all those incels said we would. <laughs> and it's going to be a sweet release. <laughs> but, um, so for the first two summer growing seasons, like, it's just pitch black and... 30 degrees colder than you thought it would be. Yikes. But even as that starts to let up, um, this 2007 study found that there are much longer-lasting problems than previously thought because, like, all of these aerosols go so far up in the atmosphere that precipitation doesn't occur up there, so nothing's, like, um, nothing is getting rid of them, and it's fucking up the whole hydraulical cycle. Hydraulical. Yeah, hydraulical cycle. The whole hydraulical cycle on the Earth. I get why you were confused. That does sound like a made-up word. <laughs> right? Um, and it then reduces global precipitation by about 45%. So we are getting half the rain that we used to get. And no sun. And no sun. And it's much colder. Problems. Again, all things that uh, seem bad for growing plants that you can eat. From what I know about growing plants, which is none. Yeah. Um, the authors of the initial study in the 80s, this cracks me up, don't really discuss the implications for agriculture. Like, they're like, wow, the whole world would get colder and there'd be no rain. Welp. Like, they don't then go like, and that means you can't grow the food. I just picture one of them being like, well, good nothing else is going to go wrong, like, while chewing a carrot. <laughs> just totally oblivious to the plight of the agricultural farmer. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, they did kind of assume that no food would be produced for a year. Um, and like I said, that 2007 study found that it would be at least two years with no food um and they projected that quote most of the people on the planet would run out of food and starve to death by then <laughs> great so um that takes care of that so we're all set um and yeah it's just gonna impact the nuclear winter real bad uh since then though since this initial 80s study again we've done more and in 2013 the international positions for the prevention of nuclear war another group i should be in concluded that more than 2 billion people, which is about a third of the world's population, would be at risk of starvation in the event of just a regional nuclear exchange between India and Pakistan. So, like, not even the world, like, obliteration that the other tests were doing. They're saying, like, if just India and Pakistan start nuking each other... That um, would have those implications for everyone? Yeah, about 2 billion people worldwide would die because the atmosphere would get so fucked up. Jesus Christ. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, and they were like, it would either be a full nuclear war between India and Pakistan or a tiny portion of what the U.S. and Russia could do to each other. <laughs> we really could fuck it up. Yeah, we could We could fuck it up, Kenneth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why are we allowed to even discuss these things? I know. Oh, I'm there, terrified. There are a lot of independent studies that have since come out that have just been like, yeah, the whole climate will change, the food supply will go way down, and the prices will rise. So, of course, this always affects poorer and more marginalized right. people more than, like, Mr. Ritchie, who had a 
bomb bunker and lived. Yeah, and it's like if America can uh, still afford to have food sent to it, but a poor country can't. Sorry, poor country. Yeah, they're all gonna starve to death, of course. Because Absolutely. That's how capitalism works. Capitalism can shine even in the dark. <laughs> Woo. So, um, but then you're like, okay, well, so the nuclear winter is very bad. But after a few years, nuclear summer. Yes. Yeah. The nuclear summer comes along. Wait, is that bad? Still? It's still very oh, bad. Oh, come on. Jesus. So the nuclear summer is a hypothesized scenario where um, after the nuclear winter has abated, there's a greenhouse effect that occurs to the carbon dioxide that is released in the combustion of all of the decaying organic matter and the dead corpses that were frozen during the nuclear winter. <gasps> they release methane into the air and that greenhouse effects... So it raises all the surface temperatures rapidly. Are you fucking... No, this sounds made up. And it means that all the stuff that could live through the cooling then dies because it can't live through the warming. That's fun, right? <laughs> you thought you were being silly when you said nuclear summer, didn't you, I Al? did. Well, I pictured, like, um, just fun, like, everything <laughs> popping, like, flowers popping up, but they're, like, lime green. That fucking sucks. Yeah. What the hell? No, it's bad. Um, here's something else to crazy, just crazy to think about when we think about the apocalypse. Uh, when the nuclear bombs detonate, we're just bombing the shit out of each other and they go everywhere. Um, they're going to release electromagnetic pulses or EMPs. And these EMPs, um, damage and disrupt electronic equipment. So, like, if a nuclear bomb goes out, every, um, electronic basically within 300 miles of the explosion dies fizzles right out so this disables hospitals water treatment facilities food storage facilities all electronic forms of communication so like you can't text your loved one to be like hey did you live through that nuclear bomb can i come stay with you <laughs> like oh uh you can't do any of that um and that could lead and it leads to power losses for months or even years depending on how quickly like infrastructure can be built back up to rebuild these things so, um, that would be bad. So just to sum up, here's what's happening when the nuclear apocalypse happens. Here's what's happening when the nuclear apocalypse happens. A huge percentage of the population immediately dead. Those who live are largely in fallout zones and are experiencing burns, mutations, and other bad stuff. And they can't go to hospitals for treatment. There are no hospitals. All the hospitals got wiped out because of the electromagnetic pulse. People who aren't dead or too injured to notice see that it is very, very dark. No sun can get through the atmosphere for weeks, and even after that clears, the Earth is about 20 degrees colder. Nothing will grow. They have to depend on stores of food that people just had, but those stores could be contaminated again by the fallout. Uh, and it is dark and cold for years, and billions die. Then it warms up, but it warms up too much. Billions die. The dinosaurs laugh from dinosaur heaven. So, Ali, what can you and I do to prevent a nuclear war? Um, <laughs> what can two soft women in the New England metropolitan area do to curb global apocalypse? I mean, nothing, right? We can't do anything. Um, the best we can do is call our congresspeople and tell them that we, A... Um, don't want to spend about $1.7 trillion over the next 30 years to replace and modernize our nuclear arsenal, which is what We're the plan doing that? Is. Yeah. 
why can't we just all agree to get rid of them? I'm not versed in the ways of politics, <laughs> but... What if we were all just like, let's be cool? What if we all just sat down for one minute and was like, let's be real right now? Yeah. I would love that. It's like when John. I don't even watch Game of Thrones, but when John goes to Daenerys and Daenerys is like, you're not calling me queen when I am a queen. You think you're king. And he's like, we don't even have fucking time for this whole thing. I am king. We'll get back to that. But like, we don't have time for this because the dead are encroaching. Mm. That's kind of like what this is. It's like, we don't have time to squabble like, well, you have seven guns and I only have six, so I have to make one more. No. No. We do not have time. Just get rid of them. I love that. In Game of Thrones, Jon does ultimately have to bend the knee to Daenerys before she'll help him with her dragons. So what does that mean for the metaphor? Um, that uh, somebody would keep their nuclear weapons. <laughs> Who, maybe we have, like, like... Like a nice country Like, Denmark it. keeps all of them. I don't think Denmark has any to begin with. Well, that's why they keep Do them. Do we just it's give like them to Denmark mom... and check yeah. them out like a library? No, it, no, it's like a mom taking keys at a high school party. <laughs> like i'm gonna be cool i know you guys kind of fucked up but just give me your keys and i won't be mad i won't call your mom and russia's like okay and america's like okay like everyone's just like fine whatever we still want to party by like i guess warring on each other but we're not gonna get out of hand we're not gonna do anything that would endanger our lives i love that i think that's the best solution so denmark you give me a call yeah We'll work on a little Have rap sheet. Have your people call her people. I imagine this is what... Did we already talk about um, Woodrow Wilson's nine points in the last episode? <laughs> I don't know if we did. I, we talked about thing. it privately between each yeah, other. Yeah, this is this thing where Sam and I just talk all the time, but we can't remember what we shared with the world. It's hard. But it's like when Woodrow Wilson had his nine points, it was just like... This will save the whole world, but listen, go off, I this guess. Is, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think we did talk about it already on this podcast. Um, just keeps coming back to, to Woody Will. Young Wood um, Wills. Um, so Oh, boy. Oh, is... I'm I'm very, like, get, my neck's getting hot thinking about this. Because I didn't think, I thought that, like, if anyone's getting nuked, it would be, like, not us, probably. Or if us, like, we wouldn't be near it so i mean they could whatever they, again they could nuke boston and then we're out of here baby girl you and me <laughs> recording this podcast from heaven all right anyone who's trying to nuke america <laughs> like just take us out this is dark <laughs> <laughs> this is a dark request to remain this is a dark request but if you as you're gearing up to end it all are for some reason listening to this you're like should we be washington dc or and new york yeah and you're picking between no. i don't want to i don't want to see the flip side of this coin that's all i'm going to say um and everyone else in boston's like can you not speak for us <laughs> um there is this organization, it's called Back from the Brink, and it's dedicated to stopping all nuclear war. Oh, really? I love it. I, I, why aren't I in this organization? And so here's their kind of five points that they are asking, specifically of the U.S. government, because they are a U.S.-based organization. Um, number one, they want the U.S. to renounce the option of using nuclear weapons first. So they're like, you should never, ever use a nuclear weapon if someone hasn't already fired a nuclear weapon at you. Um, I would say a step further, let's just never use a nuclear weapon. But it's a good start. Yeah, put the gun down and the standoff first. Yeah. That's what I would say. Uh, number two, they want to end the sole unchecked authority of any U.S. president to launch a nuclear attack. So right now, if Ugh. 
any sitting U.S. president uh. can say launch them nukes and they're gonna. Uh, we should maybe have a vote. <laughs> or he should have to talk to, like, two other guys. You know, just something. Anything. Any Anything that's not just one guy with that power. Whether or not you like the guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't like the current guy. But no but one that's guy not even the point. should ever have the power. Even a guy I like shouldn't be. Even a to. woman I wouldn't want to give that power. Yeah. You know? Um, I've had bad days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I'm on my period and it's just like, I gotta launch some nukes. Right now my, my uterine lining is shedding. We talked about this. That's why I want to watch Aladdin so badly. Um, that's not related. I just need a comfort. But um, yeah, no, I see it. Yeah. I feel it. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't do it, but I... I understand the impulse. Yeah, yeah, it's relatable. Say, which I think is quite feminist of me. <laughs> yeah. If anything. Wow, I love third wave feminism. Mm. <laughs> so, um, uh, this organization wants to take all U.S. nuclear weapons off of hair trigger alert. Um, like I told you, that means that they're always in ready for launch status, staffed by around the clock launch crews, and can be in airborne within 10 minutes. How do you get that fucking job where you're in the 10 minute zone? <laughs> I know. I would hate that job. <laughs> Can you imagine me? Can you imagine Sam <laughs> just like having to be one of those fucking people smiling way too wide, but your eyes are like screaming for help, like yeah. holding a gun like backwards. <laughs> like you just are like, ah. I just imagine like I'm trying to be friends with the other guards so bad, and he just will not interact yeah. with me. But I'm like, Mitchell, I need a friend. <laughs> I need you to be my work friend. Oh. And Mitchell's like, I served two doors in Kuwait. And I'm like, Mitchell, <laughs> laugh at my jokes. Just be fucking real with me right now, Mitchell. <laughs> oh. Um, so take them off hair trigger alert. I agree. I think that'd be good. At least 20 minute window. Right? Let's, let's think just about get it for there. 20 minutes. 30. Let's watch an episode of SpongeBob before we launch a nuke. 45. Fuck it up. 45. <laughs> yeah. The perfect length of time for a nap. Do I have an hour? Ugh. <laughs> uh. Um, they want us to cancel plans to re- replace the entire nuclear arsenal with enhanced weapons. I agree. Agreed. Let's not spend that $1.7 trillion. And finally, they want the U.S. government to actively pursue a verifiable agreement among all nuclear armed states to eliminate their nuclear arsenals. Yes. They're basically saying, like, America needs to be the one who is championing this. Yes. Championing. If, if America wants to act like the big daddy leader of the the world yeah which some people admittedly believe we are yeah and in some ways we do act as a role model for other nations mm-hmm. I, I don't you know like that's shitty to say but yeah. i i do think there is a grain of truth to that we have to live up to that fucking ex- expectation or at least try to for god's sake yeah by being at least the husk of morality so let's get rid of the nukes what would captain america do in this situation well, it depends. He has a really complicated arc throughout all of his movies. So it's like, is it First Avenger, Captain America? Is it Winter Soldier, Captain America? I'm on... Endgame. I'm on Tony Stark's side, I think, in that. Oh, so War? And, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I am too. Because he's like, we should do what we think is right, no matter what anyone else thinks. Yeah. And Tony Stark's like, that is fascism. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, no, it's justice. And he's like, that's what fascists say. <laughs> Which it's like, Chris Evans, you're lovable, but you're you know it's that's that I logic do. is. I do love Chris Evans. It's flawed. Massachusetts boy. Mm. Fuck Mary Kill, Captain America. Mm. Chris Evans. Oh. Or your current boyfriend, whose name is also Chris. Kill Chris. I'm sorry. I love you. <laughs> um, 
Uh, I just think that's more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was hoping you'd do. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I've had sex with one of the two. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, it's like... Chris Evans. Um, just... Have we not told, mentioned to you that Allie's boyfriend, Chris, is Chris Evans? What if I was just, like, <laughs> moonlighting just someone, but it was Chris Evans? I'm just, um, we like to keep it very under wraps. It's very private. Massachusetts boy. Um, Massachusetts boy. Um, and then I think... I mean, the obvious choice is that you marry Chris Evans and you and you fuck Captain America. That feels right. Because, you know, you'd make him, like, wear the outfit. Mm-hmm. I hope when he comes he says, like, justice. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, that's what I do. Yeah. I'm just very patriotic sexually. Yeah. I'm not patriotic in my everyday life, but no. sexually I'm, I'm almost too patriotic. Yeah, it borders real, on, like, it's a real nationalist. Yeah. <laughs> together agree how about this here's something i think we can do a listener to this podcast might be a future president of america or any other country that has some kind of elected officials so let's say like let's all agree if any of us become elected officials in any of the countries that we live in or if you're i don't know prince william and you listen to this podcast and you're a monarchy that's fine too call us let's all agree that when we have that ability we're gonna de-arm all the countries when we have any kind of, like, Emma Watson-style platform, yeah, we make that a prio. Yeah. He for she for no more nuclear weapons. He and she <laughs> stops the nuclear winter together. Absolutely. Good. I think we did it. I think we figured it out as a group. I think what I'll say is that we have done, Sam and Allie have done all we can. Absolutely true. Towards this specific situation. I read about this today, so that was a lot of you guys to ask of me. <laughs> Um, Sam just coughed, but she was like, it looked like you were choking up. Like, I you really can't do anything else. Um, great. great. So, so should we talk about something else? We're going to pass the baton nuclear winter wise. Yeah, we can't handle it. I'm going to talk about one terrible man. Uh, I, that, that I can maybe handle because I could just murder it. Step down. He's dead. Perfect. Because <laughs> you know what? You I know was what? lying earlier. You know what? I don't have time for a living one right now. I was going to talk about Bill O'Reilly, and then I was just exhausted <laughs> at the thought of that. I think I opened a, I opened the browser to start researching and was like, no, no, no. So, um, okay, this is going to hurt a little bit because I had no idea that this guy was such a dick face. Oh, that blows. And I love Matilda. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that Raw Doll sucks. And no. this isn't going to be crazy groundbreaking. It's just, it's upsetting to me. And this is my podcast. So um, I can talk about whatever terrible men that I want. Absolutely. Last year, last week, I just talked about Moby. So yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, and it makes me sad, but this is the truth. And we have saddled ourselves with the responsibility of bringing the truth to our listeners most of the time. At least 70% of the time. Yeah. We bring them the truth. Or at least what we think the truth is. So, yeah, 100% of the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, Raw Dahl, for those of you who don't know, was a fixture of children's literature for the better part of the 20th century. Some of his most famous works are Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, obviously, the BFG. Ugh, I'm gonna throw up. That's not a book. <laughs> <laughs> um, <that> one. <laughs> Matilda, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and James and the Giant Peach. 
Many of his most famous books have been turned into television, movies, and even Broadway musicals, and his books have sold more than 250 million copies worldwide. The Matilda Broadway musical was pretty good. It was very good. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Um, so some quick backstory on his life, not because I care, but just because it feels wrong not to do that. Yeah, give me some context. He was born in 1916 in Wales to Norwegian parents, and Ooh. his dad and one of his siblings tragically died when he was young. Sad. So his mom had to raise, like, five of them and was pregnant at the time. Oh, God. Which that... is total bullshit. Those stories are always the worst when it's, wall like... Wall to wall, yeah. The dad dies while the mom's pregnant, and she's oh, just like, well... Oh, no, I'm thinking about Bobby Kennedy. Oh, oh my God. favorite Kennedy. Um, I'm only thinking about Bobby Kennedy. What am I talking about? Raul Dahl. <laughs> um, so that's sad. Anyways, he went to boarding school, then he joined the army... He was in the Air Force. He was, I think, uh, yeah, he was a flying ace, which is, like, a, a big deal. I don't know anything about the military. Um, and then he was a secret agent. And That's his plane, cool. like, crash landed in Libya. And then he settled down and he started a writing career. Nice. So that's what that's happened. a little bit of background on Mr. Dahl. Um, yeah, I mean, sure. It kind of strikes me a little bit as some as a little similar to like Julia Child's story as mm. well of like she was this crazy secret agent war person and then she cooked forever in Cambridge. Absolutely. So let's move on to the things that make him suck. No. People will not be surprised to learn that someone who started writing in the 40s had some less than politically correct language in his books. Yeah. So this is why most people would assume I'm gonna be like, he sucks because he used the word blah 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 yeah. in a book that was written in 1952. And yes, that is not okay. Like, for example, the Oompa Loompas in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory were actually supposed to be African people who were enslaved, which is horrific. Yeah, that's so fun. Um, it's hard because, like, there's a... There's a difference between, like, the accepted language of the time that we now are like, that was always fucked up. And that person actively being a racist. Yeah, you know. I'm gonna spoilies. He is a, he is hardcore. Oh, he's active. Let's say that. It's he's, not because it's not like, oh, if you did that, you weren't really because it's like we're all A all racist. A we have all of that stuff internally within us. Mm -hmm. But back then, yeah, there was kind of a neutral bar where a lot of people were un uneducated about things. He was, um, enthusiastic yikes about oof racism specifically anti-semitism also oh bummer so trigger warning for that starting i guess now so that's a great jumping off point just his racism just to know that i'll get to his racism at the end let's talk well, let's first talk about his marriage oh no let's start small um he was married to patricia neal who was a gorgeous screen siren Ooh. who fucked no other than uh ronald reagan and gary cooper Love Ronald that. Reagan before he was even political. Oh my god, before Nancy. BM. Yeah. <laughs> 400 BM. 400 um, BM. So she's just beautiful and talented and interesting. He cheated on her constantly. Classic. And was rude, quick to anger, and prone to tantrums. Ugh. On the website The Conversation, uh, Patricia Neal's experience is summed up in this article. Quote, in her autobiography, As I Am, written four years after her divorce from Dahl in 1987, she exposed her true feelings toward her ex-husband. She describes her admiration for Dahl's determined nature and his resourceful intellect, but it is clear through her writing that she thought Dahl was a truly rude, arrogant, and disloyal husband 
who regularly belittled her during their marriage. This sentiment seemed to be shared by her family, and she describes how her mother thought he was, quote, the rudest thing alive. (laughs) Um, She also coined the nickname for him Ronald the Rotten, which sounds like a a silly name for, like, a grumpy goose. Yeah. But he was just, like, a straight asshole to everyone. Ugh. So people were like, Ronald the Rotten, but no Ronald the Rotten. Like, rotten to the core. Like. Like a rotten person. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So Roald Dahl had children, Mm -hmm. but also disliked children. An interesting uh, dilemma, and also he's a children's book author. Yeah, Dr. Seuss also famously didn't like children very much. Huh. Um, and he was, was he racist too? I'm probably. Sure. Yeah. Again, Let's just say yes. I've said it before, course. like, anyone over, like, 50, I think you might have some stuff in your closet. Absolutely. So true. Um, so he wrote for both children and adults, but was quoted as having said that, quote, you can write anything and those little bastards will swallow it. Yike. About children's literature. (laughs) In in addition to this, he was also often cold and distant with his own children, of whom he had five. Um... Because he, he didn't like the first one, he was like, I'll like the next one, and then he hated that one, and he was like, oh, but the third one will be chill. I assumed he liked fucking, but not the products of. Classic. Man, am I right? Yep. Um, abortions are bad. <laughs> um, Tessa Dahl, his daughter, was quoted in 2012 as saying, Daddy brought joy to millions of people, but I was dying inside. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh at that, but just Jesus fucking Christ. Oh, wow. Okay, let's hop into some anti-Semitic stuff, which is not light at all. It sucks. It's really creepy to read. So I got a lot of this information from a crack.com article, which is a ridiculous source, but they they do good work. Yeah. So they wrote, in a review of a book about the 1982 invasion of Lebanon by Israel, Dahl said this was the moment, quote, we all heard, quote, we all started hating the Israelis. And questioned, must Israel, like Germany, be brought to her knees before she learns how to behave in this world? Before you point out that criticism of Israel isn't inherently anti-Semitic, that's that's cracked saying that. So they say, know that Dahl doubled down when he was questioned about his comments, helpfully clarifying that his animosity was, indeed, targeted specifically at Jews. Great, <laughs> like, helpful. No, 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 I meant it. Like, this, yeah. they came up to him like, you didn't really mean that in like, yeah. an anti-Semitic way. And he's like, oh no, was I not being clear? I yeah. absolutely meant it that way. Let me make this as clear as possible. I hate Jewish people. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what he was trying to say. So he went on to say, there is a trait in the Jewish character that does provoke animosity. I mean, there's always a reason why anti-anything crops up anywhere. Even a stinker like Hitler didn't just pick on them for no reason. What? What what the fuck are you talking about? Like, that is so disgusting. And he goes on to say, basically, like, they didn't even try to fight back. So they were basically asking for it, which is, like, the most egregious comment you could possibly make about one of the worst periods in history so disgusting and like i just like i feel like a lot of people are accused of anti-semitism who were like authors filmmakers like walt disney is accused of having made comments that were inappropriate like there's lots of films that had anti-semitic notions and people crack down on that rightfully so Mm -hmm. but i had no idea that he said this kind of shit. Yeah. And this is egregious. Yeah. Like, this is... That's not a comment that makes you go, it's like, oh, is that 
looking at it with a modern lens, is that anti-Semitic? That's like, This is oh. violent and horrific. Yeah. Like, th- this is, like, totally beyond the pale. And I didn't know anything about those sentiments in his personhood until yesterday. Yeah. And I read all his books. So <laughs> that is a huge problem. That's just a kind of jarring yeah. thing for me as a as a consumer of literature. So that's one part of it. I thought we'd end on a funnier one, which is the fact that he was just mean and disliked in general by the people around him. Great. Which is comforting in a way. Good, yeah. It's not like he was a super popular jazzy guy and everyone was like, oh, oh, Roald, I love him. <laughs> no, people hated him. So a LitHub article had this charming anecdote quote for almost 20 years his new york publisher was alfred a knopf i think it's knopf knopf that's literally seen in julie and julia when she's like oh paul i got a like letter from the publishing house of knopf or is it knopf i'm not sure and i still to this day don't know um let's say knopf it's funner it's more fun in his memoir avid reader robert gottlieb who was the top brass there from 1963 to 1987 wrote a little about working with doll his behavior to the staff there was so demanding and rude that no one wanted to work with him, and in any case, there was no one there who was elevated enough for him to him to deign to deal with. Rald was a tremendous charmer, but his behavior at Knopf grew more and more erratic and churlish. Secretaries were treated like servants, tantrums were thrown both in person and in letters. I love a letter tantrum. <laughs> and when Bob Bernstein, as head of Random House, didn't accede to his immoderate and provocative financial demands, we sensed anti-Semitic undertones in his angry responses. Uh. So everyone, he was just that person at work who you're like, fucking Rald, like fucking, <laughs> like, fucking Jeremy. Like, uh. I can't deal with him today. Like yes. that person at work that everyone hates. Yes. I have one. Except even more anti-Semitic. Everybody has one. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully you don't have a raging anti-Semite in your workplace. Yeah. No one should have to tolerate that. No. But um, people at Knopf did. Yeah, I mean, from 1960 to 1987, somewhere in there. So, what does this all mean? Because this is just one terrible guy. Like, why am I saying this to mm-hmm. you? Why do I have to talk about this after we just talked about the nuclear winter? <laughs> I think the reason that this unsettled me so was because his brand reputation felt very safe to me yeah like in the me too age i think that i like to think that there is some semblance of purity in the things i've loved in a pure way Mm -hmm. like films made by harvey weinstein films made by woody allen rock stars who ended up being pedophiles like none of that shook my foundations yeah like you know louis ck was a big influence on me as like a comedy writer and yeah. somebody who loves comedy and that was really hard to deal with like figuring out that he was basically a sexual predator mm-hmm. that he was a sexual predator but it didn't shake my foundations like this did because I loved his work as a small child like I read Matilda so many times that the binding fell off yeah. and that felt safe and I think I've tried to in, again, like, I wish there was a better word for me too, Era. I don't think that's an inherently negative thing to say. No, I think it, I, I think, think it's, it's a good label yeah, for it's a indicative, movement and a generation. It's an indicative of things. this current moment. Yeah. 
um, in this current moment, I've guarded myself against praising anyone too much. Like, you have to be ready to kill your darlings about anything. Yeah. But I just didn't think it would have to be something like, it's like Mr. Rogers or Tom Hanks. And as I say, as those words come out of my mouth, it's like, no, don't make examples because they're just human beings. They are fallible just like everyone else and they're fucking men who, and I'm not trying to be that way, but it's like, you know, the the boys are not all right. Like, and, yeah. and that's something that we need to come to grips with. Like, that's something that is just really exhausting. And this particularly exhausted me. And I know that everyone in this time has that one thing like, maybe it was Lucy K for you. Maybe it was watching Annie Hall with your parents as a kid. Maybe yeah. it was, like, that just, like, ah, it stings. And that dissonance is healthy, but it hurts. Mm-hmm. And, and I hate it. Yeah. And that's the end. No, it is. And it's hard because it's, it's the question which, like, we're not going to answer today on this podcast. But, like, can you separate art from artist? Can you reread Matilda and still enjoy it? Yeah. You well, know what I mean? And I don't know what the answer is, and I'm sure that in this moment you don't either. Well, it's a conversation that my mom and I were having about Michael Jackson. Yeah. Which oh, we've gosh. all seen the thing. I can't talk about that right now. But I can't, I just haven't been able to listen. And my, my mom, we, we grew up listening to it together. I remember her renting a video tape, dating myself, mm-hmm. in the 90s of all of his music videos, and I would watch it. I would try to do the dances, and she even more so grew up with his music, and it was this thing that my whole family shared. We all loved him. This goes triple, double for other people, other families, and I feel really uncomfortable when I hear his songs now. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just like, it's not an ethical thing. It's just like, I can't. Like, I just, it's too hard for me to be listening to that. But my mom is like, no, I feel comfortable. I'm not trying to villainize. Susan, you get it. Um, <laughs> it no, it is. It's a very, it's kind but it's of a, a like, personal that's a, thing. Yeah, it's a personal thing. She's like, no, I love the music and I'm not excusing him, but this music means something to me and I enjoy it. And that's totally valid. But I don't know. Like when, when I hear somebody talking about like, oh, but like Annie Hall's a great movie. I'm like, is it, though? Like, mm-hmm. is it, though? Maybe that's because his work is tied more to the grossness that yeah. he's inflicted on others. Yeah, that's, I think, the special case with Woody Allen is that so many of his movies are about... A justification for his own... Yeah, about an older dude... Demonic. And a beautiful young yeah. woman falling desperately in love with him and how boring he is. Yeah, so maybe that's not a good example. But you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Everything we're talking about right now is just mixed up in this angry fury at the failures of humanity and specifically men and like i feel i personally like i'm not an angry person i wish i was an angrier person you could stand to be 20 percent angrier i think i really think i could but like i feel so sad and like beat down whenever a new one of these stories comes out and it's like okay i can't like matt lauer anymore all right, cool, no more Louis C.K., like, oh, great, no more Roald Dahl, like, because they're all pieces of shit, so, like, what can you do? (laughs) Yeah. Like, and And it's more important for me to stand with those who have been affected by their shittiness. Exactly. Than to say, like, oh, but I love blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I love the Today Show, and it's like, maybe I did, but that's not, that's not the conversation we're having right now. But it's, it's, you're right, I feel beaten down by it. Yeah. And it's hard then, because people 
I feel beaten down because then people want me to, like, defend, not defend, but say, like, okay, well, then, like, don't people deserve second chances? Like, why are you so quick to, you know, X Matt Lauer out of your life? And I'm like, because he's bad. I don't have a better reason for you. He did something bad. He's bad. I don't want to talk about him anymore. Also, I have a, I have a huge problem with people who say that, like, oh, what are you just gonna, like, decide now to cut this person out? It's like, you're not, you, Sam Buntich, are not the judge and jury of Matt Lauer's historical significance and legacy. Yeah. You're a human being making a choice of what you want to consume, as is our right at all times. Mm -hmm. Like, if we see a Doritos commercial and it's enticing, we buy Doritos. If it's not enticing, we don't. We don't place any ethical weight on that. We have a person in front of us who makes choices as a public figure. We like their choices. We, you know, we participate in their content. We don't like their choices. We don't. It's no different. Yeah. And people who are like, how dare you, like, act like they don't deserve a second chance. And I'm like, I'm sure their mom will give them a second chance. Mm. Their wife might give them a second chance. Why do I have to give them a fucking second chance? I'm a consumer. I get to choose what I consume. Yeah. It's not my job to keep their career afloat just because it's not fair. And it's like, fuck off. Like, I'm not famous. Like, why don't I get to be famous? Maybe if he's not famous, I'll be famous, (laughs) which is the goal all along. That's why we started this podcast. Just waiting on y'all. Smash that like button. Yeah. So I'll do a teaser, which is um, we were going to start doing our listener stories we started soliciting for listener stories from you guys. And this is a solicitation now. Please send us your stories. Exactly. So we'll start doing them next week, but we want you to send us your I'm horrified moments. Yes. <laughs> moments where you looked yourself in the mirror, covered in sweat, and said, I'm horrified. Yeah. Um, email us at imhorrifiedpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what horrified you. It doesn't have to be a topic. We don't want a topic. You're welcome to send us a topic. Please but we want, do, but that's not what we're talking about We right want, now. like, Seventeen Magazine, like, embarrassing stories of, oh, like... I loved those. This one day, I was here, and this happened to me. <laughs> I'm horrified. I'm horrified. That's what we'd prefer. Yeah. So, open up those emails, kids. Yes. Revisit those dark memories. Slide into our DMs on Twitter. And until next week, we hope you stay horrified. Stay horrified. Thank you.